And it's such a great experience to, to do this, not just on our own. Each one of us serves in an individual capacity, but to do it in a collective fashion where we are together and we are dealing with and helping people find life change in Jesus. The only one who can bring substantive, true life change. And it's exciting to be a part of that. It's exciting to be here this morning. Everybody's in such a good mood. Everybody I talked to was so happy. It's, it's, it's as if that long, dark, bleak summer has come to an end. We had a cold front. And next Saturday is opening of archery season. Now, the balloons were designed by a lady. So I'm just gonna suggest when we celebrate opening, I'm looking for her, when we celebrate the opening of gun season next month, maybe camouflage pink, blue, and purple. (laughs) I've seen more bow reviews and more pictures of deer this morning than I do any other Sunday. But we got a dilemma that's gonna require a congregational vote. One of our young families was talking to me prior to the service, and here's the question. Should a pregnant mother bow hunt next Saturday? Everyone who thinks she should go ahead and bow hunt, crossbow, not compound, so she's not really pulling anything. Everybody who thinks she should bow hunt say yes. She's not that far along, I mean, just a few months. Okay, everybody that thinks, nah, this isn't the year to climb in a stand and say yes. Looks like you're bow hunting next week. It's an exciting time of year for us. It's an exciting time of year for our church. And it's an exciting time of year to be a part of the kingdom of God. Not just because of cold fronts. And not just because it's fun times of recreation that we're limited on certain time frames. But because Every day, whether we're at work, or we're at a ranch, or a farm, or a deer lease, a baseball field, a football field, a cheer squad, crafting, quilting, whatever we do, we interact with people. And we have the opportunity in that interaction, wherever we're at, to invite them into a life-changing relationship with Jesus to experience what we've already experienced. People will say to me sometimes, but I'm not, I'm not an expert on the Bible. I'm not an expert on theology. No, you're not, and I'm not. After, and, I've, and I've given my whole life and all my academic studies to doing this. But we are an expert individually on the life change we experienced when we met Jesus. Nobody can question that about your life. Nobody can contradict it about your life, and nobody knows that story better than you. So share it. I've done it in hospitals. I've done it in offices and buildings. I've done it in grocery stores. I've done it at deer camp. I've done it at duck camp, because those are the places I hang out. Those are the places I go, and that's where I get to meet and interact with people who haven't met my very best friend, who is Jesus, the only one fully capable of changing my life, which is why we serve. 
That's the very motive and drive behind why we serve. It's, it's fun. It's exciting. It is a part of that life change. God does things in us. I was visiting with a young man this week, and he was talking about how when he finally gets up the courage and he kind of pushes through that threshold to tell somebody about how Jesus changed his life, he said, I walk away from that so assured, so confident in my faith. He says, nothing I do encourages me in my faith like telling someone else. And I validated that. The greatest assurance of our salvation and our forgiveness and our hope and our eternity comes when we share that with somebody else. It's an experience, quite honestly, like no other experience. It's actually difficult to describe, but there is a euphoria as God and angels, according to scripture, even angels are rejoicing in that moment because we told somebody, Jesus can make the difference. And it's really that simple. And that embodies a lifestyle of service in whatever area it is, whether it's with students. We've only got five areas up today um, because these are some of the areas that regularly and in this season are implementing some new programs. So they have a greater need for volunteers. But there's dozens of ministries. And you can find lists of them online at the website, fbctomball.org, or if you're not computer capable, that's, that's perfectly fine. You can, you can just call our office and we'll just mail you a list or you can come by and pick one up. There's lots of places to serve. And the truth is service isn't limited to just our church. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands of ministries that, that all across the Houston area are making a difference and making an impact and you can be a part of any one of those. And we can share with you information about our partner ministries. Ministries we as a church partner with and work with to bring life change through the knowledge and the experience of meeting Jesus. It becomes a lifestyle for us. As believers in Christ, when we experience that change, it, it begins to drive us and motivate us and push us to want to serve God. And it's become and I apologize. I don't know if on the live stream the mic's cutting out, um, but try to bear with me. If I say anything important, just raise your hand, and I'll know that means repeat it. And I maybe you didn't catch it. Next Saturday is the opening of archery season, didn't? Okay, just making sure everybody's listening. There's a great example of a lifestyle of service in Acts chapter 20. Yes, we are going to study the Bible this morning. Open up your Bible app, pick up your Bible. Those at home, come with us, and um, let's go to Acts chapter 20. Because life change defined this man's life. And then as he lived out that life change, as he followed the directions, as he followed the guidance of Jesus, that shepherd who leads us along paths of righteousness for his name's sake, he developed a lifestyle of service. And we're, in Acts chapter 20, we're looking at kind of the conclusion of that. This is getting close to the end. We're talking about the apostle Paul, who has felt called to return to Jerusalem, even though in Jerusalem, he's already been told in dreams and visions and recognition, cognizant of the Holy Spirit speaking to him, what lies ahead in Jerusalem is going to be difficult. And it is. He will be arrested 
He will eventually end up in Rome, and he will eventually be executed and martyred for his faith. And so these are some of the last free moments in the Apostle Paul's life as he heads back to Jerusalem. He's traveling by ship. I'm not going to track the whole passageway. But where he's at in this moment is Miletus. He's trying to get to Jerusalem before the Pentecost. So he's, he's moving fast. He's asked the leaders of the church in Ephesus to meet him. These are guys he helped start, that helped him start that church and start that witness, that testimony of the life change of Jesus in Ephesus. And they've all joined together. For the full context, I'm going to actually read it. So um, if you find it, read along with me. Um, in our church, we use the Christian Standard Bible. So that's the translation I'm going to be reading. Because I want you to hear what he says. In a very real sense, these are some of his closest friends. These are people he works side by side with. They would know all the inferences that he's making. But you get a picture. You get kind of this composite of a lifestyle that serves. So down in verse 17, he's in Miletus. He sends for the Ephesians elders and leaders of that church to come and be with him. In verse 18, when they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. That's the great part of service, is you're with somebody all the time. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, the compassion, the drive, knowing that this service isn't for our recognition, but is for the Lord. And during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, he had a very difficult time in Ephesus. But even in those trials, it's evident that the lifestyle of service following Jesus was fulfilling and meaningful. You do know, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly or from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and about faith in our Lord Jesus. That is Paul inviting others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus one conversation at a time. You can go ahead and highlight that one or mark it or write it down in your notes. It's a good one to go back to. Everywhere Paul went, he invited people into a life-changing relationship. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, verse 22, Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now... I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, 
Remembering that night and day, remembering the night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. That section gets pretty serious and pretty tough because he realizes his absence will now create some vulnerability that needs to be cared for by these leaders of the church. Now in verse 32, and now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, for you yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down, prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. It's a long speech and it's a long historical account, but it is an excellent example of a lifestyle of service. Everywhere Paul went, he was focused on the life change that could be experienced by Jesus. Everywhere he went, he created churches and groups and and worked that not only would that message be shared, but it would be developed into groups of disciples, into communities of faith that would meet all the rest of the needs, that would begin discovering what can we do for children and help them understand? What can we do for students? What can I do to help the service? What can I do to be with media team? What can, what can I do to, to volunteer and come in one day a week and, and read Bible stories to preschoolers and we school? What, what can I do in these areas? What can, how can I discern and look at my spiritual gifts and understand what God has created in me and encouraged and strengthened me to be able to do. And everybody's not gonna serve in the same area, but everybody thinks about and looks at it and understands, okay, I can serve and I can find my place to serve and it can be my lifestyle. So it doesn't matter if I'm at church serving or if I'm at work serving or if I'm at school serving or if I'm at sports serving or anywhere we go, we become and we live as servants of Christ. It's an unhindered service. Look back at verse 33 for a second. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. It's an unhindered service. He worked to make sure there was no encumbrance and no give, give any difficulty with this service. It's an enduring service. Back back up to verse 32 for a second. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Look at that last phrase of verse 32. Give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Why is it an enduring service? Because every time somebody 
Every time some child in one of our ministries makes the decision to believe in Jesus, every time some young couple comes to church and says, you know what, we want our marriage consecrated, we want our marriage reflecting who Jesus is, and we're going to make a decision to live that way. Every time an older adult in the last moments of life, in some ways like Paul was, says it doesn't matter everything I've done in my whole life and everything that I'm anticipating seeing in the next life is because of Jesus. We are reminded that we have an inheritance amongst all believers who are forgiven and in the presence of God, and it's enduring, it is eternal, it is forever. We're not making temporary changes in the world. We're making eternal, permanent changes in people's lives because God works through us to do that. So it's enduring, it's unhindered. We don't let things get in the way. If we can't afford to do it, then we find a way to do it without funds. It's generous. He said in verse 35, in every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring and to, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I, I know it will sound difficult at times, but you will get more out of your service than you will ever give. It doesn't seem like it because when we talk about serving and we, and, we, and we recognize this, we're asking you to give up time, we're asking you to give up resources, we recognize this. It is a sacrifice, but it is a sacrifice that leads to a blessing beyond imagination because it models the very life of Christ. If you only look at the crucifixion, how can you rationally and logically say that it's worth the excruciating, painful death that Jesus had? That it's worth that in the Trinity, in the three personalities of God, the Father had to turn his back and Jesus cried out for the first time in the entire infinite span of time because God exists before there was time and God will exist after there's time. For that moment, because Jesus took on our sin, the Father turned away and Jesus couldn't see the Father. That's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you look only at that, then you would have to legitimately ask, is it worth it? But now I want you to Look around this room. Those on live stream, if you're by yourself, just recognize yourself. But you maybe have family with you. Look around your room, your living room, or wherever you might be. It was worth it. Because none of us would be forgiven. And none of us could face the death of loved ones. None of us could face our own death with any assurance if Jesus hadn't given everything for us. And so we know, we recognize, we want to be pragmatic about the sacrifice, but we want to be honest. We've done this long enough now. We know Jesus' words are true, and these words of Jesus are true. It is always more blessed. It is better, happier, more meaningful to give than it is to ever just simply receive. It's enduring, it's unhindered, it's generous, and it's supportive. I love this part. After he's told them all of this stuff, a lot of it's kind of hard, he kneels down and they pray with him. They're all together praying. It's an emotional moment. 
and everybody's shedding tears. They embrace him and they kiss him. Little uncomfortable with part of that. Don't totally understand their culture as opposed to our culture. But I understand the sentiment and the affirmation. That's why it's an exciting day. Because we walked in, we saw people we know and we love and care for who love and care for us. They were disturbed over the difficulties that were ahead. And they walked with him to the ship. They were together. Service for Christ in a lifestyle of service is always supportive. We are together. We are a family. We are a community. And we may have some individual responsibilities, but none of us ever has to be isolated. We are connected. Service allows that to happen. Talk to somebody who's been serving in some area, and they will tell you some of their closest friends are the people they work side by side with. Service, a lifestyle. That's our goal.